Welcome to the Retrovenix Podcast. In this podcast, your host, Lori and me, will interview published authors to chat about their work, journey to getting published, and their book recommendations. If you share a passion for books and are always looking for your next read, then join us. Welcome to the Retrovenix Podcast. Today's guest is Kerrigan Byrne. Kerrigan writes historical romance with a touch of dark themes. In this episode, we chat about her latest two series, her writing process, and some book recommendations. Now let's go to interview. Hi, Kerrigan. Welcome to the Retrovenix Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So happy to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, let's see, a little bit about me. I live in the rain shadow of the Olympic Peninsula up in Washington, um, right by the coast, and uh, ha- I have a bunch of dogs, <laughs> and I write historical romance, and uh, I live a pretty boring life, and I know that now because we're all quarantined, and that is not a big difference. <laughs> from my regular everyday existence except for now I wear a mask when I go grocery shopping so I and I see my friends a little less yeah but I just um I'm pretty hermity I write a lot uh I play I love playing video games I love hiking I do a lot of stuff alone <laughs> so yeah I feel like yeah I feel like I don't know for quarantine life like for me it's changed some stuff but for the most part it's been like i don't know i've been in my lonely world <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. doing my thing like and now we're remotely so i don't even have to get out of the house so i think it's just oh. like it's an introvert's dream for me like this whole quarantine stuff there's stuff that gets the fatigue but for the most part mm-hmm. it's not that bad where do you where are you from where do you live so I am originally from Puerto Rico, but I lived in New York for 14 years until two weeks prior to COVID hitting. So I just moved to Chicago. Plan I planned to move to Chicago. Um, so I moved in March 1st, and then COVID oh, wow. hit March 13th. So basically, I I'm in a new city where I don't know anyone. <laughs> um, so my in real life connections have been with essential workers, but uh-huh. it's totally fine I've been staying connected so my work in New York City hired me back so now I'm working for the company but I work remotely so I work from Chicago so wow that is crazy that would be really hard it it is it's it's actually it's been fine like overall like I in being I'm in a bigger space right now than I was in New York so I'm grateful that I was not in New York while COVID was happening and I'm grateful like I'm in a bigger space and I have you know have a living room and I have a bedroom and so there's like there's like pluses with that I think it's interesting to be in a new city and feel it strange like I don't know anyone like I know my neighborhood but I haven't looked at Chicago like I the jury's still out for Chicago if I want to stay or Mm -hmm. if I want to leave but I think Mm -hmm. right now I'm just kind of like it's just been, I got to know my apartment. I did a good job of picking that place. So <laughs> you had plenty of time to unpack because what was there else to yeah. do? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's yeah. been okay. So awesome. So what inspired you to become a writer? Um, I, I think just how much I used to read. I learned how to read really early and it's really been the only thing I was good at, you know, like I, um, I have a diary from way back when I was a kid and it says, you know, I'm going to be a writer. Like, I just can't remember a time 
in my whole life that I didn't, this isn't what I wanted to do. Like I've been just writing stories. So I, I, I couldn't tell you when the seminal moment is cause I can't remember ever not, not wanting to do it. I love it. And were you always a woman's reader or are you a reader of other genres? Um, I read, I read and have read a lot of mystery. And so I used to read, it was kind of a weird, slow, uh, journey into romance because I read a lot of like R.L. Stein and all of Nancy Drew mysteries and like just a lot of kind of mystery and I liked horror and um, then I started reading Anne Rice in junior high and I loved that and so I, my friend said okay well if you like vampires you should try I think it was Sherilyn Kenyon mm-hmm. um, and she's like so it's like paranormal romance and I did read Victoria Holt who's kind of you know old school historical romance and I always love that sort of sweeping gothic feel so um and then I just that was I just read like I tore through the dark hunter series really fast and then I picked up anything I possibly could you know I just I was hooked from there because I'm like you can get all of the best stuff of literature and this great romance and sexy times like Mm -hmm. sign me up so (laughs) <laughs> I love it. So what was your journey to get that first book published? Uh, let me think. I started going to RWA meetings because I had started writing and I knew that I was not good at it. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I went to a couple of conferences. I met critique partners who introduced me to my agent. And um, while I was shopping to New York, I put up a couple of novellas, mm-hmm. like well, several, about eight or nine, <laughs> um, up on Amazon, just kind of self-published. And then The Highwayman sold in 2014. Um, and my agent always tells me I owe her big for the hangover she had because she said, I sold that because I went to get I went to drink with your editor and like, she doesn't drink ever. So it's like two drinks makes her so drunk. <laughs> so she's like, I had a hangover the next day, but we, but we got you a, like, we got you a contract. So woohoo. So <laughs> that was, that was the beginning of that. And then um, I've been with the same editor now for five years. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. Yeah. Let's talk about your writing. Do you have an outline or do you were just leads? Yeah. I'm definitely a pantser. I, I usually start out with characters um, or a scene that I'm either wanting to start with or get to. So I'll be like, like, let's say in this like latest book, A Dark and Stormy Night that I wrote for, in, uh, that came out in June. I just knew I wanted to write this one scene in this garden. And I'm like, so I need to build a plot off of that scene and this character who's been in a bunch of the books, Carlton Morley. So um, most of the time I have some partners that I brainstorm with, like my same critique partners. And so I usually um, get up in the morning and kind of chit chat about maybe where the day's going to take me. But I often don't know what a book's going to do until I'm until my fingers are on the keys and it's happening. So I'll surprise myself a lot like, oh, OK, well, this is happening now, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. So no process at all. I am the word. I could never teach anybody else to write because I would be like, I don't know. 
sit down and give it a go, I guess. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I think every person has their own process. And so if it works for you, just keep doing it. You know, just yeah. try to fix it or try to emulate somebody else's process. It may not work for you. Exactly. And I tried. I tried to be more organized. I've tried to be better uh, at planning. And every time I do, I like, I fall apart because I, again, it'll take me somewhere else. And then the rest of the plan doesn't work. And I feel like I wasted all of that time. <laughs> so I keep it big. So I got a question because you're written series. Um, how do you organize yourself? You know, keep track of the characters, the, the series, like all the different details for the series um, as your cancer? Very badly. Okay. <laughs> a lot of it is in my mind. Since they're people, since I created the people, I feel like I remember them really well. So it's not like I'm going to forget their names or exactly what happened to them. Mm -hmm. But there are many times when I have to go back to manuscripts and because I'm in the middle of another book and I have to go four books back and be like, okay, what time did that happen? Or how old were they? Or what, you know, what, when was this? Or, and so I really should make a Bible and I've learned my lesson. So I'm like, okay, if I ever do a, a series that lasts this long again, I will have, I'll be more organized. But with the Victorian Rebels, I really didn't. <laughs> I really didn't. And I should have. So. Yeah. It's okay. So did you get like feedback from like maybe like copy editors or, you know, on your editor, maybe like, like, oh, on, this happened in this book. You may get some feedback that way that, you know, maybe this is, doesn't match the storyline. No, I've, I've, uh, I'm pretty good at keeping it all straight in my head. Okay. I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good at it. And, <laughs> um, the only thing I did get called on is I, you know, I set up, I set up in book four for the character in book seven to, to kind of fall for this other person. Mm -hmm. Um, and it didn't work out that this was, that was the heroine. I just mm. went in a different direction. So I did get a couple of emails that were like, but what about this lady over here? Like, didn't, you know, wasn't he kind of flirting with her? Wasn't he thinking about her? And I'm like, yep, but that didn't, you know, that didn't pan out, I guess, because <laughs> we went, with this whole new other person, but I did that on purpose. Okay. Uh, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so let's talk about historical romance. What is the process like to write them? What kind of research do you conduct? Like, how do you go about creating this world that happened 100 years ago? Um, I, like, research for me is actually my favorite part of the process. So, um, I do a lot of just like Googling. I do subscribe to, <clears throat> excuse me, a library, a historical resource at Trinity College because they have a lot of like, um, things stored, information stored about how people lived, you know, in different times and like little things that I have to look up, like where's the bathroom located or how many, you know, how are things heated? Because like, technology changes so much between every every uh, decade, especially in the, in the 19th century. So I'll do that, but a lot of it's just like random Googling and I find a lot of like Wikipedia articles and then go to their works cited and, you know, read those or like blogs. So there's a lot of blogs that people are really interested in 
uh, different times or about different events. And so I can lose myself really. Like sometimes I'll be like, Oh, maybe I'll be done today. You know, by one or two, if I start early enough and then I do three hours of like random reading about stuff and then it takes me all day. <laughs> so I have to be careful, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's usually just like, thank God for Google. Cause I, I can't believe sometimes that sometimes that people used to have to go to the library like look stuff up because I would be I would be dead yeah I can imagine <laughs> they'll be all like why so mm -hmm. the following questions come from the Mormons community in Instagram thank you so dad for Mets with Junkie Michelle Macy Reeves and Amanda escaping above so um let's start with their question is it difficult to balance a respect of historical accuracy with modern preferences of the reader you know I run into this a lot I would say it's the most difficult thing um because especially as like a lot of the movements that have gone through uh like that we're in the middle of right now which i'm just so appreciative of and i you know so supportive of but i feel like sometimes um it makes it a little bit more difficult for modern readers to understand maybe the i the ideas and like the preferences of historical, like it's still cause it's like modern sensibilities still don't change the facts of the past, right? So I struggle sometimes to make sure that my heroes, especially since I do write them dark and that kind of thing are, are so kind of woke enough to be, to be still heroic to the modern woman while keeping them kind of historically accurate and alpha enough to have been a man of the 19th century. So sometimes I, I run into some moral conundrums there. So I have to be careful. It's <laughs> mm -hmm. fascinating. So your books tend to be dark for the world historical romance. Is that, your, is that what your writing style gravitates towards or was it a conscious decision? to set the spheres apart in a genre that's typically on the lighter side? Um, it's, it's natural. It's what my writing gravitates toward. I really, um, I, I, like I said, I, I read mystery and horror um, and gothic historicals first. That's, that's always been my love. And so it's a little bit more, and I'm not very funny. Like I can have moments where I'm like, oh, haha, that was a witty thing I said. That never happened, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. But like, I wish I could write lighter like I'll pick up a Tessa Dare book and I will giggle my way through it and um really have a sense of like uh what do they call it jealousy <laughs> what do they call it? like occupational jealousy or whatever that I wish I had that kind of like quick snappy wit in my mind and that kind of adorable uh hysterical yeah, which is really the only word I can think of. And so, but it's just not there, but I do read a lot about murder. So like that usually ends up in a somewhere, but yeah, it's, it's not intentional marketing wise. It's just what, if I'm going to write anything, you know, that's what I'm going to write. I'm going to write about blood and gore and the, the dark realities of life because that's kind of what I'm interested in. So. I love it. I think maybe just go back to your roots or all assign, you know, the books that you read growing up. So maybe just like setting it up in a historical setting. It's just part yeah. of it. So. 
<laughs> so which book was the hardest to write? Um, let's see. I would say probably The Duke with the Dragon Tattoo was the hardest for me to write. And that's only because, like, I kept getting interrupted by medical emergencies in my family. Like, my husband had this, um, like, two-foot-long blood clot in his leg that he had mm. to get surgery on. And, um, and then my daughter had surgery, and my other daughter went to the hospital for two weeks. And, like, oh everybody was, yeah, it was crazy. So I was just, um, there was just a lot going on during that time. So it was actually late turning the book in, and I kept getting yeah kind of interrupted and trying to write while I'm worried about everything and so I'm surprised that book did as well as it did or that it even got finished because that was just like the hardest year of my life but it was um the most rewarding book that I've ever written it's still probably one of my favorites the way it turned out so awesome so let's talk about the Victoria Rebel series what type of research was involved when writing about Newgate um I bought a book on it I can't remember what it's called at the moment it's in a box somewhere but I I I used to work at a jail um in the medical department mm. for about five years and um I was just like their office manager mm -hmm. and um I thought it was kind of fascinating the the dynamics of how people are when they're locked up and the things that they do, how, what it does to them psychologically, you know, how, how similar sometimes the, it, in my opinion, and this could be maybe a little bit controversial or whatever, but there were, there were often times when I didn't see a lot of difference between the, the actions and the inner moral compass of the, the, prisoners and the detainers you know like I like I respected and liked a lot of the men that I worked with but um sometimes I didn't either and I didn't agree with the laws that they had to uphold or sometimes the way that they went around of uh, you know that they went about it <laughs> so um but I also really enjoyed working in a male-dominated field um because I think men are interesting <laughs> you know their dynamics and that kind of thing so um that's I think why I wanted to write so much about Newgate because it was a little bit more of a free-for-all back then you know people had absolute power like cops and uh and prisoners had no rights whatsoever and so I thought like man if, if this is difficult to be a part of today imagine what it was then you know so yeah um, yeah pretty much a lot of it's real life experience plus trying to plug in the facts of what happened 150 years ago or whatever so fascinating so what made you decide to keep going with the Rectoral Rebel series after the original six um your with search so six came with the publisher came to an eye um mostly emails from fans and contact being contacted about you know saying Carlton have to have a story Sebastian and Veronica have to have a story like I always planned on doing a couple of more books um and I talked with my editor and she kind of always talked about like you know there would probably be another little bit um and so I set those stories up to be written and then when uh they decided to go in a different direction and wanted to start a new series 
um, I felt really bad leaving my characters in a place where they didn't get their happily ever after, especially when so many people were emailing me about like, but what about these guys? What else, you know, like, what are you doing starting mm-hmm. a new series? We gotta finish. It's not finished. Like, mm-hmm. so that's, that was pretty much most of it. It's just, I felt like I owed it to, um, the characters and even more, I owed it to the people who were asking for the stories. So. I love it. Who were your influences for Victoria Rebel series, if there were any? Um, like specifically character wise, I could, I mean, I could say a lot of people, but um, I love, I always say like, this is my, this story, or this is my, that story, like Dorian, like the Highwayman would be my Count of Monte Cristo story, kind of, it's one of my mm-hmm. favorite books of all time. Um, and I was really into Dexter when I was re- writing The Hunter, and I liked the idea of an assassin. And um, his heroine, Millie, I looked a lot into, like, Sarah Bernhardt and some of the, like, big grand dams of the theater at the time. So there's always, there's a lot of things and people and and books and tropes and everything that sort of uh, influenced my stories. But I couldn't say for the entire series that there was one, that there was one influence. So you self-published a book. Um, what was something, some of the most surprising thing you learned from self-publishing your book, book seven of the Victorian Rebel series? Um, surprising things. I feel like the most surprising thing is ha- like sort of having the freedom to take a story in any direction you want. Mm-hmm. There's sort, there's a um there's a freedom that comes with that that's really exciting and then there's also kind of some anxiety that comes with that because you're like what if you know what if I break some rule and everybody decides this is the worst thing I've ever done you know so it's um I wouldn't say I was surprised super much but um I think that I think that's mostly it it's just uh not having anybody before it comes out really who is a an industry professional tell you yes or no this is marketable or this isn't marketable you kind of have to trust yourself on that mm-hmm. score so I would say that's the most yeah I can imagine there's quite a lot of freedom just basically you know putting the work out there and like not having to be accountable to you have deadlines that you said yourself but it's not industry-led deadlines of getting mm-hmm. the work out you know right so awesome so let's start with the devil you know series each book mm-hmm. we call the red rose a group of friends who each have who have each other's back and will support each other to the end what was an important showcase of unconditional love within the friendship um i think it's because i've always had very fear those fierce female friendships where it's sort of like you know I'll bury a body for you you know and Mm -hmm. you say that you know like to your friends like I will come and hide the bodies I love you that much kind of thing and so um I kind of thought like well what if they actually had to (laughs) like what if that was a secret they actually had to do like they did bury the body together kind of thing and so um I think that those kind of relationships are just as powerful as the relationships you have with the partner in your life or the men or woman or other that you love, you know? And um, so I wanted that to be 
something where, you know, the women are in competition. There's not an ex that's a villain. There's, you know, that they're not vilifying other women. They're very close and they could be each other's support whether they had love in their life or not. So it wasn't a man that completed them because they already completed each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really love the friendships. Like I just love the fact that they were like, so they had each other's back. Like it was just like, it sounds like they travel the world, they, they grew their life, and they were, like, able to support each other to the end. Like, there was no question about it. And it was, like, oh, yeah. it was, like, it was just, like, you're right or die, you know? Well, people keep, my editor keeps telling me, too, like, this is a fantasy um, story that you're writing. Like, this is, this is all about fantasy. And, like, one of the fantasies that I like to fulfill or that's, like, a fantasy or reality for me is that kind of like not just having a ride or die guy but also having you know that whole support system that whole tribe like people who will be with you through everything you know yeah and they both you know the characters we met we met alexandra we met cecilia we met francesca they, they all have like a life full before they fall in love like they were able to you know, go to school or just have businesses or do something mm-hmm. like, and they support each other in that process that it wasn't mm-hmm. just like they're in the marriage march looking for a husband. Like they yes, had, that was important to me. Yeah. Their, their life could have been completely full and happy whether they found a man or not. I thought that that was really yeah. important for me to write that. So this was really cool. Um, Alexandra went through a major trauma on page that affected her relationship and what she wants in life. What was it important to showcase her healing process in this book? Um, I think I read a lot of books that deal with this subject and kind of um, the objectification or like the turning them into victims or damsels if you have been a victim of sexual assault. And so I thought, you know, I thought I I know a lot of people and as a survivor myself that it might be interesting to show a way of being that is other than that that like you don't need necessarily again like you don't need a man to heal you or to to show you healing or to like fix any of that like they definitely the right one can help and the right one can fit into your life and but like that she made herself an, a whole person mm-hmm. and a, an entire being with a with an entire full life and found some happiness and still had to deal with her trauma and still had to work around it and learn how to function like we all do mm-hmm. but um she was able to do it and because she was able to do it she was whole enough to fall in love also and with the right man who did the right things and treated her the right way mm-hmm. most of the time not all the time he had some stuff that he, had to, yeah. he did he had, to, he had some stuff he had to fix but. yeah he had some rough edges but i think it worked <laughs> like it was just like it worked i think the whole relationship how it grew like it made sense like i think it was right. just, it was just perfection um Thank so you. let's talk about Cecilia. she heard the gambling hall in school for ladies that has a lot of secrets. Her heroes trying to catch her. Why she this conflict in the story? Like they were, they were pretty much at odds, and yet they were attracted to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like it when 
people change their minds about something that they'd had preconceived notions, you know, like this is kind of like, I wouldn't say my pride and prejudice because it doesn't have anything to do with pride and prejudice, but it, it kind of had that, like, where both people were, were definitely in the right and trying to do the right thing and had the right um, intentions you know, she wanted to allow these women to make a living how they wanted to make a living. And she mm -hmm. um, wanted to carry on her family dynamic and keep a business open. And um, he was worried about women being objectified and breaking the law and, you know, uh, being used the way they shouldn't be. And so I think... They both, I wanted to show that like, sometimes you can approach things from a different perspective and it doesn't mean that either perspective is wrong, but, or maybe both perspectives are wrong until you learn to understand each other mm -hmm. and try and like learn to work together, you know? So I really like that sort of opposites attract trope too. And so this is one of the first times that I really got to delve into that and I, um, I was happy with how it turned out. So it did it turn out really well. So, um, how difficult was such work, baby? Um, not difficult at all. I I uh, I have daughters, and I actually they're stepdaughters. So I I they were two, four, and six when I met them. They were four, six, and eight when we got married, and now they're all in their early twenties. And so writing about Phoebe or about kids that maybe it didn't start out as yours, but you really come to love and fall in love with that's, that's really easy for me to, to mine that kind of emotion and data. So I do that all the time. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I tend to write that a little bit more sometimes than even mothers of their own kids. And I didn't realize that I did that until I went back and looked over all, you know, all of the books that I have. And I'm like, you know, most of the kids I write about are not born to the woman who ends up raising them and I mm -hmm. that was not on purpose but it, I guess it comes out of me sometimes so <laughs> I love this um what, what can we expect from Francesca's book um let's see without any spoilers uh it will be kind it will be a second chance romance um and definitely secrets because like this isn't a spoiler <laughs> really but like Francesca is was not born Francesca right so she was born somebody else and um so she and the she and the hero of the story have a past but it's not her past it's a past of someone she's pretending to be so mm. there will be a lot yeah <laughs> there'll be a lot of explosive chemistry but there's also you know secrets and and revenge and uh lots of passion so I think it's actually of all three of the books it was my favorite to write mm -hmm. so I'm hoping people will enjoy it I can't wait <laughs> so now let's go to round of book recommendations it's an opportunity for you to share with the audience what they should read next what is your favorite genre uh, um I would say mystery is my favorite genre which is hard to tie down because it's and everything. I love mystery romance. I love mystery thriller. I love like those dark psychological mysteries that everybody's putting out right now. Like I, if you can just keep me glued to the page, trying to figure out who did something or what's about to happen. Like I'm here for it. So <laughs> who are your favorite authors? Um, I have so many. 
Uh, I would say for romance, uh, Karen Marie Monning and Lisa Kleepis are at my very top. So Karen Marie Monning does a lot of like, like uh, paranormal and that's kind of was my first love when I was reading romance. And so I, and I love her, like I'm very Irish and Scottish and Welsh. And so I love all of her Celtic Druid, you know, like I just go nuts about that kind of stuff. So, um, and then Lisa Kleepas just writes historicals so lush and so perfectly. And she's just kind of the queen of, of get like the, best character study you know like she there have been books that I've read of hers that I'm like this is not a meaty plot like this isn't there's not a ton going on here but there's so much inside of these characters that I can't not write read about them Mm -hmm. and that's like a very specific talent I think that I'm envious of a little bit um and then I would also say Christopher Moore is my favorite author and he writes uh kind of uh comedy he writes uh yeah like it's he has a lot of romance in his stories too but he writes like uh my favorite book of his is well it's two books it's a dirty job and secondhand souls Mm -hmm. and it's about this guy who becomes death or like a reaper Mm -hmm. but he's like he owns a thrift store and he's a widower and he has a kid like a toddler and she's accidentally the antichrist and it's just hysterical and he Mm -hmm. falls in love with a nun like, it's just so funny and you're giggling through the whole thing. So he does like everything he writes is good. I've never written a, I've never read a book of his that I didn't absolutely love. So I love it. What has been a book you read this past year or last year that you love? Oh, so um, let's see. I, I read uh, Private Lies by Cynthia St. Aubin was really fantastic. Um, and she also has a book out um she has like the she has one that's like love see it's like love bites Mm -hmm. which is sort of a like i don't know if you've ever read mary janice davidson but it's sort of like a like a paranormal comedy so there's like love bites love sucks and love lies i believe are the all three and it's kind of about this woman who uh, gets a job at an art gallery, but she doesn't realize that it's run by a pack of werewolves. And it is, I giggle through the whole thing, but it's really hot and really good. So. That looks so was, good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Tell us where you can find you online. Um, I'm pretty much everywhere. I'm not on Twitter very often because like everybody's so mad. <laughs> Very, very much. But um, I'm on Instagram just at Kerrigan Burn or Facebook. Uh, you can find me, Kerrigan Burn, also. Um, on, I have a website, kerriganburn.com. Like, luckily, I don't have a name that everybody else has, so I don't have to do I don't have to do a lot of like numbers or dashes or anything. Yeah. So you can, yeah, you can find me anywhere. Or um, my email is careburn at gmail.com. So awesome. Well, I'm always around. Thank you, Kerrigan, for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. You're so fun to talk to. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to share with friends, subscribe, or rate and review the show. This is the easiest way to support this podcast. Want to join a romance-loving community? Want weekly book recommendations, monthly author Q&As, and book recommendation meetups? Make new friends? Then join our Patreon community. To sign up, please follow the links in the show notes. 
What to Read Next podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to love on frolic.media slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.